0: How are we doing, people of God? Is anybody grateful that Jesus defeated death? This is why we celebrate that Jesus conquered the grave. Y'all can give me golf claps if you want to, but I'm thankful. See, look, we serve a God who specializes in erasing the evidence. So you probably half clapping. Adam. And Eve, they disobeyed in the garden. But the second Adam, Jesus, came and rendered obedience in the garden. Undoing the work of the first Adam, because that's the type of God that you and I serve, he specializes in erasing the evidence. We all got in trouble. By what was consumed from what was hanging on a tree. But we all got out of trouble by who hung on a tree. Y'all don't play with me because he is the God that specializes in erasing the evidence. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden due to disobedience. They were kicked out of paradise. But Jesus was outside of the city dying for all of our sins so we could have access to paradise because he's the God that specializes. Y'all talk to me in erasing the evidence. I'm going to give you more Bible because in a few moments, y'all not going to like me, but I'm just trying to tell us why we celebrate In the Bible, it lets us know when everybody rode up on Jesus about to arrest him, Peter was a real one. Can I get somebody to say real one? Peter took out his knife and said, hold up, and he sliced off the high priest servant's ear. And Jesus said, could you put your strap up, please? Please put that up. Don't you know that I could call on the Father right now and he would send me more than 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? And Jesus does his last earthly miracle before his resurrection. He takes this man's bloody ear and relocates it right back on this man's head so that if they tried to convict Peter of assaulting an officer, they couldn't because he specializes in erasing the evidence. And I have a sneaky suspicion that there's a people under the sound of my voice that God has erased some evidence off of you. You don't look like what you just came through. You don't look like where you came from. I'm going to keep going till we get it. After giving your testimony. Somebody would say, bro, I didn't even know you used to be about that street life. You used to gangbang? And be like, listen, bro, I'm glad that you can't tell. Because that just confirms in my heart that I serve a God who specializes in erasing the evidence. After you give your testimony, people are like, sis, I didn't know you used to be a stripper. You used to be twerking on poles. I didn't know you used to be a stripper. And you would say, girl, I'm glad that you can't tell. Because it just confirms in my heart that you and I serve a God that specializes in erasing the evidence. This weekend, when we celebrate, I believe God was just reminding us how much of a boss he is. (laughs) He was like, darkness, you got 72 hours. You know you're a boss when you give darkness a curfew. (laughs) Said, listen, Judas, what you about to do, go ahead and do it quickly. And he left and it was night. Jesus said, okay, darkness, You have 72 hours to do what you're gonna do. You got 72 hours to lie on me. You got 72 hours to beat me. You got 72 hours to abuse me. You got 72 hours to spit on me. You got 72 hours to nail me to a cross. You got 72 hours to bury me. But watch this, being buried and being planted both look alike. Somebody caught it. Being buried and being planted both look alike, you got 72 hours, but after 72 hours, I'm going to get up with all power and I'm going to have the keys of hell and of death in my hand. Jesus is so much a boss that Satan don't even have the keys to his own home. So you got 72 hours. Jesus hit hell with the hardest curve of all time. You thought you, thought you had me? <laughs> Negative. You thought you had my children? Negative. I want us to understand something. I want us to understand why we celebrate, because I want us to be a biblically intelligent people. This is not a pagan holiday, okay? A lot of people, if you notice, they always try to erase the significance of Christ by something paganistic. So around Christmas, we're talking about have a holly jolly Christmas. No, this is about the coming of the Messiah. So I just want us to understand why we celebrate. The little cute rabbit, that's cute. God made it. The candy, that's cute. Um, but that's not why we celebrate. We celebrate on today because Jesus defeated death. Listen. Listen. Not only was his resurrection supreme validation of his deity it also was the fulfillment of prophecy that foretold that the messiah would come would suffer and would resurrect from the grave if jesus did not get up we would not have hope that we would rise again too okay let's go a little further if jesus never got up from the grave this means there's no such thing as a savior there's no such thing as salvation There's no such thing as redemption. There's no such thing as you being redeemed. That means all of this, this church experience, is frivolous. All the songs and clapping, that's fruitless. Paul said it would be useless if he didn't get up. But the fact that he did get up, it means our praise has significance. Our worship has significance. Our clapping has significance. Because now we can have access to live with our God forever. Is anybody excited about it? That's about all you're going to get. Thank you. That's about all you're going to get about resurrection on today. <laughs> so I hope you like the clapping, and I hope that you're excited, because God took me a total different direction on what we're going to talk about on today. Lord, have, let me go ahead and pray. Let me pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you for getting up. Thank you for dying in our place. You didn't just die for us. You died as us. And on today, we celebrate. We're not going to get lost in all of the hype of different things. We understand the reason that we celebrate, not just on today, but every day of our lives. We are thankful that you defeated death. And since you rose, we could rise with you and the same spirit that raised you from the grave is the same spirit that lives on the inside of us. Now, my prayer, oh God, is that you anoint me as your vessel, as your oracle, so that people could hear the beauty of the gospel, not just an inspirational speech. But God, I'm praying that they hear you. We ask that you do it, anoint me to be your PA system, the soundtrack of heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that prayer, would we'll just shout in the room, Amen. Yes. There's a whole lot I want to share with you. There's some things I'm going to discuss more in depth, especially next week. There's a lot of announcements I want to share with you. Like if it's crowded, don't have your purse there. Scoot over where everybody can get in. But I'm going to dive a little deeper in that next week because I just... I feel like a lot of times this could be probably one of the most distracting times in service. I want to eat. I want to go eat the barbecue. I want to leave. So I'm going to try to serve you what God gave me hot while it's still fresh on the press. Are y'all ready? I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 16 is where we're going to launch our reading. If you do not have a tangible Bible, it is okay. It will be projected for you on the screen. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Once you're there, was you yell at your boy as loud as you can? I got it. Yes. It says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything Is now ready but they all alike begin to make excuses the first said I've just bought a field and I must go see it please excuse me another said I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out so please excuse me Another said, I just got married. That's a real good reason, isn't it? So I can't come the servant came back and reported this to his master then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and Bring in the poor the crippled the blind and the lame sir The servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house, similar to today, will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste Of my banquet. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, our claws of concern and our verses of emphasis might come off a little unusual, unorthodox, and maybe even anomalous, especially for a resurrection service. First is verse 16 and 17, where our foundational text tells us a great banquet had invited many people. Somebody say, you have been invited. invited. Y'all say it with confidence, I have been invited. invited. Now you have to understand the context of this. When I'm sending you an invitation for you to come to my banquet, it's like you RSVP'd and said, I'm going to be there. Because anybody who has ever had a party, a gala, or a wedding, you know you make the preparations prepared based on how many people said that they would be there. Your RSVP is helping you know, how many people do I have to accommodate? So once again, somebody say, you've been invited. So you were invited, and then verse 17 says, when the banquet was ready... He told his servant go tell everybody all of you who said that you would show up All of you who said you would be here Let me make it personal all of you who said you want Jesus to be your Lord There it is all of you who said I surrender my life to Jesus All of you who said I am going to be a follower of Christ. I need you to show up now But they all like, begin to make excuses. Now I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't label them as reasons. <laughs> like to me, if I'm, like if I'm preparing a banquet and I have like a gala or something for you, and you tell me, "You know what? I can't make it today. Um, I just close on a property. That's what the Bible said, we just got some land, I got to go check it out. I just closed on a property and we got a whole lot to do. I'm sorry, Jerry, I can't make it. For me, that would be a reason, but for God, that's an excuse. If I have an event and I'm like, okay, listen, we're going to have the event. You're telling me, listen, we, we can't make it right now. I mean, we just got married. There's, there's so much the chemistry we're trying to create. You understand what newlyweds do. I got you. We can't make it. To me, that would be a reason. But to God, that is a excuse. I wonder what things in our life are we calling reasons? We're saying it is a reason, but God is saying it's a excuse. Excuses, 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 excuses. Every time I need you to do something. Excuses, excuses, excuses. They are the silent assassin of opportunities excuses, 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 excuses. To you, it's a reason, but to God, it's an excuse, excuse. They are the cemetery of unexperienced blessings that have been eulogized by your excuses, excuses, excuses. And here's the crazy thing, y'all. Some of us are making excuses, and we are actually busy doing stuff that doesn't matter. (laughs) And then we have the audacity to get mad when somebody tries to interrupt us from being busy doing stuff that doesn't matter. Come on, I'm playing the game right now. Don't you see what I'm doing? Quiet, I'm watching my show, I'm waiting all week for this. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And if I was a note taker, I would personally write this down. Excuses are the security deposit that ensure who you were yesterday, you remain today. Yes, Lord. We're going to work in here today. Excuses. It's the security deposit to ensure who you were yesterday. You are still going to be on today. Excuses. Excuses. I would like to speak around this thought from this subject for just a few moments on this Resurrection Sunday afternoon. What about next Sunday? Mm -hmm. All of us who have showed up today, what about next Sunday? Will will we see it in? For all of us who were intentional and making sure I have to get to church on today, what about next Sunday? What about next Sunday? I just believe that the spirit of grace is trying to reconcile somebody back to himself. So that you will understand that your birth was not just fulfilled by a certificate. But your birth was a prophetic word. God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. There was a prophetic assignment that you were supposed to fulfill in the earth. What about next Sunday? (laughs) This sermon I know is going to be extremely convicting to some. Like, Lord, I brought my mama, I brought my friend, I brought my babe. Why is he coming for our life right now? Why? <laughs> I understand it might be extremely convicting for some, but this is a message for those who have settled. What does it mean to settle? To settle means to live and get comfortable at a level that is beneath your value and your capability. Talk Holy Ghost one more time. It's not just relational. To settle means you are living and you're comfortable. This means you're chilling. Living and you're comfortable at a level that is beneath your value and your capability. I know it might be convicting to some, but I just believe God rather hurt your feelings for a moment so he could upgrade your soul for a lifetime. Y'all don't want to talk to me. What about next Sunday? Let's get real, real right now. For all of my CME people, all of my CME attendees, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, what about next Sunday? What about next Sunday? Please, please, please hear me. I understand. I just want to be a man who is obedient, because I was like, okay, are we going to go this route? (laughs) And I I felt like God was telling me, if you want me to breathe on your ministry, you must be a vessel that always says what I want you to say. They may not like it, but I have to understand there is somebody, the only sermon that you're going to hear this year is this one. This is the only sermon that you're going to hear, maybe Mother's Day, maybe on Christmas. So this means I got one shot to try to convince you that God wants to upgrade your life. And I don't care about popularity. I don't care about hype. I don't care about what people think about me. God knows my name. And as long as God knows my name, I can walk in my authority. I can walk in my power. There was a calling on your life. What about next Sunday? W- will we see you then? If you came here today because you expected to hear, well, he got up. <laughs> and some redundant musical inflection that my melanin church community calls hooping. (laughs) You're not going to like this sermon on the day. If you came here this afternoon thinking that you're going to hear a typical sugar-coated, soporific, non-convicting, non-challenging, inspirational speech that will make you feel justified and just marking off on your religious checkbox that you went to church today, but you still continue to live a life beneath from what God has called you to, you're not going to like this sermon on today. If you came here, Thinking you're going to hear a redundant, plagiarized, boring, typical, like I heard this type of Easter message before at the expense of you living the same and not making a tire screeching U-turn life change to Jesus. You are not going to like this sermon on today. What about next Sunday? God does not just want you on weekends. He wants full custody of you. What about, what about, what about next Sunday? Or what about the next time he calls you? Some of us, every time God calls you, he keeps getting a busy signal. Busy with your business and busy with your entrepreneurial pursuit and busy with what you want to do. How about next time God calls you? Will you send him the voicemail again? Or would you finally answer the call? Because I've tried to convince us that God can do more with your uncertain yes than you can with your confident hustle. What about next Sunday? What, what about when it gets hard? When you start losing friends and people start talking about you and like right now, the back of your head is hot because it's convicting. What about when you have to unlearn and have to unlove what you used to love? Because I cannot love the father and love sin at the same time. What about when it gets hard? Or better yet, what about when it gets great? You have the clients, you have the money, you have the platform, you have the following. You know, this might mess you up, but one of the most lethal attributes and lethal possessions that some of us could ever obtain is success. Mm, mm, mm. For some of us, not all of us. One of the most lethal possessions you could ever have is success. You want to get this so that you can flex. You want to get this because your motives are impure. You want to get this to show them you missed out on a good thing. I want to show them that when you denied me, you missed out on all of this. It's almost as if having abundance reduces our dependency on God. Now, before you stone me, I'm just attempting to articulate what Jesus said when he said, it is hard for a rich man, not impossible, but it's hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. Why do we hear more sermons telling you on how to get rich than we do sermons telling you about the danger of riches? When have you heard a sermon about that? See, For starters, there never feels like there, okay? Whenever you're saying, I can't wait to get there, when I get my bank account there, when I just get there, there never feels like there. And in fact, once you get there, you will discover that your current ceiling is a floor to the next level. And so I want to get there. 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 There will never feel like there. And since you constantly want to keep going up and going up and going up and going up, you'll live your whole life stressing yourself to go up and never look up. What about when it's good? What about when it's hard? I felt in my spirit, God wants me to articulate this simple truth For so many of us who have just fallen in the river of casual Christianity, and that is you've been made for more. You've been made for more. I don't want you just on Sunday. I don't want you just on Mother's Day. I don't want you just on Easter. I don't want you just on Christmas. I want you Monday. I want you Tuesday. I want you Wednesday. I want you Thursday. I want you Friday. I want you Saturday. I want you Sunday. And then I want that to repeat. I want all of you, every fiber of your being, the nucleus of who you are, the totality of who you are. God wants all of you. It's amazing. We want God to shake heaven for us, but we won't even give him a simple yes what about what about next Sunday because God has more for you and he's preparing a table for you I'm preparing a table for you what about next Sunday I'm trying to convince you that God wants to take you higher He wants to take you deeper. He wants you to go from level to level. He wants you to go from glory to glory. You have been called for extraordinary work. I'm talking to somebody right now, this is why you have been clashing with your sphere of influence lately because whenever ordinary and extraordinary get in the room, there will always be conflict. Talk Holy Ghost. Whenever ordinary and extraordinary get in the room, there will always be conflict. You are cool with living at the basement, but somebody else wants to go upstairs. Whenever ordinary and extraordinary get in the room, there will always be conflict. One person wants to match energy with energy. How you came at me? Oh, I'm going to come at you times 20. The other individual operates with self-government. And self control. I have self mastery. The master is mastering myself. Whenever ordinary, extraordinary get in the room there will always be conflict one person is cool with cohabitating the other person is saying I have to have a covenant before you get access to all of this because whenever ordinary and extraordinary get in the room there will always be conflict one person only seeks Jesus in crisis because crisis has a way of showing us who Christ is I only have a time to bother that The other person, in all of your ways, you acknowledge him. Whenever ordinary and extraordinary get in the room, there will always be conflict. What, What about next Sunday? The process that many of us are in. And this is something personally that God shared with me that I want to share with you. Stop trying to rush him. See, when you rush the moment you forfeit what's being made. The patience that's being made in you in this moment, if you rush it, you forfeit what God is trying to make. The embryo of your relevance is not cultivated at the palace. It's cultivated in the pasture. Embrace the discomfort. Because what I'm building in you is more necessary than what you are asking right now. God wants to give us a peace that will have you tripping over the fact that you're not tripping. God wants to give you a peace like that. God wants you to wake up refreshed. When is the last time you woke up and you were not tired? I know this is not your typical resurrection message. Oh, but you're going to remember this one. You'll forget he got up and well, but you remember, when is the last time you woke up refreshed? When is the last time you woke up and felt rejuvenated? When is the last time you felt restored? God wants to give you that because he knows that prolonged tiredness weakens your spiritual immunity. You heighten the possibility of getting sick when you're not resting. And God does not want us to have faith with the cold. (laughs) Saved and sealed, but mentally sick. Saved and sealed, but infected with emotional influenza. Soul congested, not with mucus, but with what ifs. What if I fail, and what if I fall short, and what if this happens, and what if nobody shows up, and what if nobody likes this? God knows. He knows how you feel with being tired and exhausted day to day. He wants to give you a Psalms 127 verse 2 experience when he gives his beloved sweet sleep, but the question that remains is what about next Sunday? I'm tired of you. You know why some of us are tired? Some of us are tired of living the same life. Tired of being in the same place, seeing the same mountain, same issue. For some of us, your spirit's tired too. (laughs) Like, okay, how many more times are you going to let the lack of a good morning text throw your whole day off? I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that. Like, how about this? I text you too. I text you too. Somebody didn't get it, so let me break it down. The Bible is a text. I've given you 66 books. I text you too. How about my text message, throw your whole day back on? How about that? I know they didn't text you, but I text you. I text you, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, that you're the head and not the tail. How about that text, throw your whole day back on? Or what about the text I gave you in Psalms where I tell you why you were in your mother's womb. I was knitting you together and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. How about my text message, throw your whole day back on. Talk Holy Spirit. Or what about the text in Jeremiah chapter 31 when I told you that I have loved you with the everlasting love. I text you too. And shouldn't my text be more powerful than theirs to be able to throw your whole day back on? I want to level you up. The reason I want to level you up is because I prepared a table for you. Look, I want to give you a Bible. Check this out. Psalms chapter 23, verse five. Psalms chapter 23, verse five. The psalmist says, "You prepare a table. y'all talk to me, somebody whispered it, Be confident. You prepare a what table before me." and the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So the psalmist is saying, okay, there's a table that's prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. See, and some of us are so caught up at the presence of your enemy that you're overlooking. This is the place where you get oil. Carl, put it back on the screen. Put it back on the screen. We are overlooking that this is the place where you anoint my head. This is the place where my cup overflows. This is the place where I get some power. This is the place where I get some clarity. Are you so caught up with who's at the table that you're missing that God is anointing you at the table? They can talk about you all they want, but they can't stop your oil. They can hate you all they want, but they can't stop your oil. They can badmouth you all they want, but they can't stop your oil. The table, the presence of your enemy, it's the place where you get oil. Give you more Bible. This is so good, (laughs) y'all. Luke chapter 22, verse 28. It says, you are those. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. You when it got hard, when it got difficult, you stayed with me. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The reason I want you to speak to my people about what about next Sunday is because they are forfeiting their table. Casual Christianity is causing you to forfeit your table. Only seeking God in Christ is causing for you to forfeit your table. Treating Jesus like an ornament that you only put on your Christmas tree on December the 25th is causing for you to miss out on your table. Prepare the table for you. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. This just messed me up when I was reading it. It says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons at the same time look y'all you you cannot partake of the table of the lord and the table of demons at the same time i love when the bible speaks for itself paul is saying listen you can't be god's example and the devil's sample at the same time <laughs> say listen you you can't you can't be the solution And also the pollution at the same time. You can't be lukewarm and ba-da-ba-ba-ba loving it. (laughs) You can't be lukewarm and loving it and sold out at the same time. And do it at the same time. And I used to think, I used to think that one of the traps of the enemy was to get people out of church. I think that's one of them. I mean, because think about it. You are easier to like assassinate when you're alone. It's harder to hit my target when you're surrounded. But, but it's easier to hit you when you are alone. So I used to really always think that's one of the main methods. He wants to get people out of church. He wants to get people out of church. Until I had this epiphany right before the pandemic in 2019. I said, you know what? The devil doesn't have to affect your location If he has your appetite, Mm -hmm. this means you'll be at church, but you won't eat. (laughs) It's not necessarily that I'm giving you bad doctrine. It's that I'm so full from another table. So when you're trying to give me the king's table, I'm burping from the devil's table. It's not necessarily the location that he's after. He's after your appetite, which is why he surrounds you with friends that give you similar diets because friends extend what they consume. I know y'all don't like this, but I'm just being obedient because there is a table for you. I'm not preaching passionately and sweating out my clothes and have a table up on stage just so that I can have some frivolous attempt of being creative or innovative. I'm preaching because I want God to deliver a word that penetrates your soul so that you will know and you will never forget this picture that there's a table for you. What God wants is what he has always desired from us. He wants our yes, he wants our love, and he wants our commitment. Your yes, that's your obedience. He wants your your yes. He wants your love. He wants your commitment because commitment is the transportation system that takes a relationship from surface to depth. I I don't really want any more surface Christians. I want those who know me in secret. Where do we get church clothes from? Like you could be dressed in church clothes and still be. I, I, want, I want your yes, I want your love, and I want your commitment. See, when you are committed, you'll make adjustments. Mm-hmm. But when you're interested, you'll make excuses. See that? See? When, when you are committed, I'll make the adjustment for the workout. I'll make the adjustment to make my house my, my spouse happy I'll make the adjustment to try to pursue the dream and the vision that God gave me when you are committed you will make adjustments Oh, but when you're interested you'll make excuses hmm and what is commitment commitment is to make a resolve to remain Even once a desire to remain has left did y'all hear me? It's so quiet in here. Y'all hear this? <laughs> y'all came to the wrong church. If you thought you were going to hear about it, just get up. No. God wants your commitment. And that is to make a resolve to remain even once the desire to remain has left i 'm committed to my wife. This means I have made a resolve to remain, even once the desire to remain has left committed to the workout. meaning I have made a resolve to remain, even once the desire to remain has left committed to church, even once the desire to remain has left. God wants your commitment your stick to itness. I want to show you this Galatians chapter six. Verse 9, he wants your commitment, y'all, because that's what makes us have integrity. Integrity is the byproduct of commitment. You cannot be integral if you aren't committed. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, let us not be weary in well-doing. So, be committed. Have a resolve to remain, even once the desire to remain has left. Let us not be weary and well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So what the enemy does is two things. He focuses on the weary part. He focuses on the weary part. Weary means to be exhausted or to live on fatigue. I want them to be Exhausted and live on fatigue. why? Because when we live at a place of exhaustion, we keep on fading and never receive the harvest. Are y'all hearing me? When we live exhausted see like hell uses burnout to keep the harvest stuck in transit. Did y'all hear what I just said? Hell uses burnout. To keep your harvest stuck in transit. It's stuck there. And then actually some of us assist the enemy with this pursuit by not applying the Sabbath principle to our life. Think of the creation narrative. God made man on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, he said rest. So all of us were designed to live from a place of rest. Not live until we need rest. So good, y'all. So good. So if I can get them exhausted, if I can make them weary, if I can get them tired, then they will keep falling short and the blessing will stay stuck in transit. So now we'll be people who say stuff like, oh, that church stuff doesn't work. <laughs> All that prayer stuff doesn't work. I came and dressed up on resurrection for nothing. Fasting doesn't work. It's just that the enemy knows that harvest is reserved for those who are planted. Listen, this is why some storms benefit you but don't benefit others because storms only benefit the planted. They only benefit those who are committed. When I am planted and I'm going through a storm, when I'm planted and they're throwing dirt on me, oh, those are the necessary ingredients I need for me to grow. I got the sun shining on me and it's raining and you're throwing dirt on me? But it won't benefit you if you're not planted, he tries to exhaust us with distractions and, watch this, y'all, wrong fights. The reason so many of us are tired is because you're drowning in tiredness trying to be everybody else's anchor. I'm so tired because I'm trying to be everybody else's anchor. This is something personally that blessed my life, Herbert. I'm not called for everybody, and every problem is not mine to solve. Y'all will get a on-e version of me if I try to solve everybody's problem. I'm only graced to solve certain problems. And having discernment to know this is not my problem preserves my strength. And I wonder, are you drowning in exhaustion because you're trying to be everybody's anchor and now you drifting? <laughs> he focuses on the weary part. And then he focuses on the faint part. Because if I can get them to be exhausted, they'll faint and they'll think that God is a liar. Because every time and everything you're hearing for the pulpit, you're not experiencing it in your real life because you keep on fainting. Every time it gets hard, I quit because I'm tired. Every time it gets difficult, I quit because I'm tired. And what that does is it keeps the blessing in transit. In verse 16 of our foundational text, Jesus tells us a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. So it's like, okay. Now remember, once you take this, this means you are RSVPing and saying, I'm going to be there. So I'm inviting you to my banquet. I'm inviting you. You drove all the way in, out of town. I'm inviting you to the banquet. Don't feel awkward. Y'all don't have to say nothing. I'm inviting you to the banquet. I have all these invitations. I want to just invite you to the banquet. And I'm excited because now that you are taking the invitation, I'm going to go make the preparations. This makes sense. I got one more. Here you go, Keisha. I'm inviting you to the banquet. So, all right, now I got all these invitations. All right. So, now I got to go prepare. I got to prepare for her ministry i got to prepare for her platform. I need people in the marketplace too because there's a student that's going to come in your classroom because you're a teacher and they're about to have an abortion, but you're going to tell them something that's going to cause for them to not have an abortion. It's not just pulpit ministry. I need saved teachers. I need saved attorneys. I need saved electricians. I need saved lawyers. I need saved doctors, spirit-filled doctors. And so now, because I gave you all the invitations, I'm preparing your ministry. I'm preparing your platform. I'm preparing where I'm going to take you. I'm preparing you to break the cycle in your family. And now, verse 17 says, when the banquet is fully prepared, all of you who have been invited, he's saying, all right, come on. I'm ready. So you have to understand, when you said Jesus saved me, you RSVP'd for him to interrupt your life. Yes, it's real in here. Yeah. When you say, I need a savior and I need you to be my Lord, do you understand that the Christian life is the interrupted life? It is the life that has heavenly interference. <laughs> so now I'm trying to tell you, hey, the ministry that I'm for you, it's ready. The calling, it's ready. The position, it's ready. But you keep giving God excuses. And in your mind, it's a reason. But in his eyes, it's an excuse. Why, why are we only opening our text when the preacher says, turn the book so-and-so I'm busy, I work, I'm a dad, I got job. That's your reason. But to me, it's an excuse. And then when I was a student pastor, I said this. I said, you know what? If we were to miss out on God's gift, we deserve it. They said, man, that's kind of harsh. I said, think about it, bro. Like, back then they had scrolls. If I said, turn to Isaiah, you would have to get a scroll and let that mug unroll. You just imagine when you sin, you gotta go catch a goat. Now the goat ain't gonna say, go ahead and clash my throat. Go ahead. You gotta catch it. I'm thinking you gotta run and grab it. I gotta take it before the priest. Like that whole process. I'm like, okay, you can open up U version, go to the Bible and press play and have it read the Word of God for you. I bet David and like Ezekiel, they're like, okay, what's the excuse? We didn't even have the New Testament yet. You got audio Bibles and audio books and podcasts and we're filled still with excuses. And I know it may be difficult to digest, but the purpose of me telling you this is your excuses are making you miss your table. The true Christian life is the interrupted life. I'm going to give you Bible to corroborate my claim. Look at this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I'm almost done. I know it's hot. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, "Follow me." Pause. He could have still had more taxes to file. He could have had a four o'clock, a six o'clock, but Jesus has walked up on old boy and said, Matthew, whatever you're doing, pause. I need you right now. And he got up and left. Jesus tries to wake us up all the time. Come on, let's pray. Let's talk. Like, this is not insomnia. This is me. And we keep rolling over, rolling over. But Matthew got up and he followed. Let me give you more Bible. Give you more Bible. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, it says, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, this seems so harsh, y'all. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. You are so, like, inconsiderate, Jesus. Jesus. See, you have to understand the context of the day. Jewish sons would stick by their father so that they would be in position to receive the inheritance. Right. And then it was also the Jewish custom to rebury the bones after a year. So he was really saying, wait till 2023. I'm going to break up in 20... 20- oh, I- I'm going to stop sleeping around it. And- Ooh, I'm going to stop getting high. Just-, just let me do what I want to do. Jesus is saying, forget what you're doing. What I'm calling you to do is more important. Don't get caught up with your customs and your routine. Can God interrupt your routine? Can he interrupt your schedule? Give you more Bible. John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, same thing, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. See, I need friends who have been called out so I can call out other friends. Okay? So, Philip found Nathaniel because fine people find people and said, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip told him three words come and see. See, I've been praying this personally, and I'm also praying for this over you. I want God to do something so massive in my life, and I want God to do something so massive in your life. When people ask how, all you'll be able to say is, come and see. (laughs) What gym you been going to? Come and see. What church have you been going to? Come and see. How does your marriage survive that? Come and see. How did you get peace like that? Come and see. How are you prospering in a pandemic? Come and see. How do you still have faith? Come and see. How do you still have confidence? Come and see. How do you still have oil? Come and see. How do you still have passion? Come and see. I'm going to let my life do the talking. Come and see. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. And then be more powerful if your testimony is come and see. Yes. <laughs> they constantly begin to make excuses. I've been guilty of it. So many of us have been guilty of it. God has said, I want to, I want to take you to where I prepare for you. Mm-hmm. That pain, forgive them. You, you can't breastfeed pain and walk in purpose at the same time. Ooh. Let it go. Let it go. That's not, that that wasn't rejection. That was redirection for resurrection. Something in you died while you were there. And when you don't, listen, when you don't let Jesus heal you so he could resurrect you from what died, you will have died at 27 but won't be buried till 76. (laughs) Something in you died. And I want to resurrect that, but I need Your commitment. I need your yes. Jesus gives this parable to us. And all of these invitations of people, he's saying, Hey, come. What about next Sunday? Will we see it in? I want more of you. Come. And see, this is something I'm going to publicly apologize. I said something that was not theological. I used to say, "What God has for you is for you." Yeah, right. And I would preach it, and we were shouting, "What God has for you is for you." But when I was studying um, verse 24 of Luke chapter 14, verse 24, Jesus says, "I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet." Hmm. So I said, hold on, Lord. This means I've invited for somebody to be here. But since they kept giving me excuses, somebody else will be here. I prepared a table. Now, y'all got invitations. And I said, come on. It's time. And you gave me excuse after excuse. Excuse. So really, if we look at the parable, somebody else got the invitation. He says, go to the crippled, go to the lame, go to the highways. Not one of those who did not accept my invitation will have a seat at my table. Here's the thing. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is you possibly do. Whatever it is that God has been asking for you to say yes to, do it. We are so used to common grace. That's every day you expect to see the sun Every day you expect to have health and strength. I've been around people who are dying. In the hospital on their deathbed, they never ask for more things, they ask for people. Where's my grandson? Where's my grandbaby? They don't care about the business on the deathbed. They don't care about their accolades. They just want to be surrounded by people who love them so, this message is not your typical resurrection message, I know. But I'm trying to get us to understand that heavenly interference many times comes in the form of a breakup, it comes in the form of a layoff, it comes in the form of people leaving. Is God really saying, You've outgrown this womb, so I have to cut the umbilical cord? Okay. All right, is there anybody here? Maybe it's just me. Is there anybody here that has got to this place with God so they trust him so much where we're like, okay, whatever you got to cut, cut. If there's an addiction that's getting in the way of me getting to this table, cut. If there's a mindset that's getting in the way of me getting to my table, cut. If there's a habit that's getting in the way of me getting to this table, cut. If there's a relationship that's getting in the way of me getting to this table, cut. If there's pride that's getting in the way of me getting to my table, cut. If there's lust that's getting in the way of me getting to my table, cut. If there's a drink that's getting in the way of me getting to this table, cut. Whatever it is you gotta cut, I don't wanna miss it. I don't want my invitation to be extended to somebody else. And the invitation is for you. And he's made preparations for you. I don't know what your table looks like. I don't know what your table looks like, but I know you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it just because you think that you have time. God wants more of you. The only reason this is possibly so difficult to digest, if we be honest, is because we're half committed. We all can level up, myself included. But for the most part, I try to yield to God. It's it's progression, not perfection. It's seeking a perfect God. You will make mistakes. That's why he died. But all of the excuses... Whatever it is, we're in the fourth one. Y'all see how fast this year is going? All the excuses. All of the excuses that we say, I'm going to do this when? And when I get there, I'm going to do this. God is trying to tell you, do it now. Do it now. Three points I want to give you, and I'm done. Point number one, lukewarm faith won't work in a hellish season. It's so quiet in here. <laughs> Lukewarm faith won't work in a pandemic. Lukewarm won't work when God tells you no and you don't understand why. Lukewarm faith won't work when they leave you unexpectedly and go ghost on you. Lukewarm faith won't work in a hella season. So why not catch on fire? Two options. Two options. When you're on fire and you're around me, you got two options. You're going to get burned and repel away, or you're going to catch on fire with me. But I'm never going to dim my light for your acceptance. Not going to dim my light. Not going to dim my light. Stop seeking approval outside of those who, designed, who didn't design you. You neutralize your uniqueness when you try to be like them. You were formed different on purpose, and it was all for the purpose of getting you to your table. Number two, a life of mixture spawns storms. A life of mixture spawns storms. I love the Weather Channel. My wife could attest to this. I literally will sit down and watch storm stories and weather going viral. That's me. I actually rather watch that than sports. I'm just weird like that. Judge me if you won't. <laughs> I-, I love the weather, but I-, I noticed around this time of year, there's more tornadoes. And I'm like, man, w- why, why, why is this considered tornado season? It's because it is the season where hot and cold is mixing the most. <laughs> a warm front and a cold front. It takes a warm air mass. And a cold air mass, when they begin to mix, they create storms. And I wonder if there's anybody who has been blaming God for a storm we have spawned because we're living a life of mixing. Sometimes it's Jesus. Sometimes it's my way. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's Bacardi. Sometimes it's Kurt Franklin. Other times it's Drake. I'm just mixing my way with his way. Sometimes it's scriptures. Sometimes I'll curse the clean out sometimes it's bible sometimes it's porn I'll just mix and I understand that should happen in a season it should when you first get called and you're learning the ways of the faith you're going to have mixture but I'm talking about we've been saved since what 2009 and we still mixing what would scare me when my wife was pregnant we have a marital problems because I want another one. She doesn't. But what would scare me is when, <laughs> when we would go and have the ultrasound if I did not see my child grow. I remember how my son and my daughter looked at nine weeks, 12 weeks, 21 weeks, 32 weeks. And every single time they look different. Do an ultrasound of your faith. How does it look? Are you still that little splat that looks like something on Alien versus Predator? (laughs) Or can you see the limbs of faith growing? The limbs of self-control growing. Remember, it's not perfection, it's progression. And I noticed every time we went to see our ultrasound, there was progression. What would terrify a parent is when they looked at the ultrasound and there was no progression and i believe what the father is concerned about this afternoon is there is no progression and what's worse is i'm getting blamed for it and he's are giving me reasons but i wanted to give you a word where jesus labels what we call reasons as excuses last point respond to the invitation Respond to the invitation. How would you feel? You spend eight, nine thousand dollars for your wedding and nobody shows up to eat the food. Yeah. <laughs> you got all this food. You would possibly be upset. For those who are like, yeah, I would eat it. There's still, a, you can't eat all that. <laughs> you can't eat all that. And that costs you money. I shed my blood. It cost me my life. And the reason I did it is because one day for all of eternity, I want us to all be able to be family again. I want us to all sit at this table where there's no need for the moon, no need for the stars because His glory fills the temple. There's no pain, there's no mourning, there's no tears, there's no death perfection, how it was meant to be. I was thinking about something. I was going to go the direction of reading the Lazarus story when God, Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the grave. I began to wonder, why did Jesus cry? And I've heard tons of theological perspectives. He cried because they didn't have faith. He cried because he was in touch. He was touched with their feelings. And and I began to think, what if... What if he cried because Lazarus was actually in a better place? What just what if the place God wants to get you to is better than the place that you're settling for? You're crying to really stay in your grave, (laughs) guys. I really want to take you to another place, this table. It could be a ministry, a platform, breaking a cycle in your bloodline. I don't know what your table consists of. There's only one table that I do know of, and that's a table that we'll all be able to benefit from in heaven. But this is symbolic of your purpose, your mission, your calling that God has created you to fulfill. I want it to be obedient. I know how to preach theatrics and make rooms shout. That doesn't do nothing. doesn't do nothing but make you feel good and say church was awesome and stroke my ego at the expense of being disobedient to God. I wanted to speak a word for all of those who have been on the fence and God wants more of you. So I'm going to pray and we're done. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the heat of conviction, even on a day that we probably didn't expect to hear it. I pray, Father God, that whoever you've been beckoning to say yes, and the yes may be different. It could be actually giving their life to you. It could be be nicer. It could be a faith move. It could be writing a book. Whatever it is, whatever the yes is, God, I'm praying that from this word, they will have the strength, the confidence, and the courage. It takes courage to walk away. It takes courage to trust you even when I don't know where you're taking me. But there's one thing that we all can be sure on, God. We do not want to miss the seat at the table that you prepare for us because we constantly kept giving you excuses. You truly turn graves in the gardens and we are the fruit of your resurrection. Let this word be fruitful. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you say amen in the room?